This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City and beaming out across all of space and time, this is Star Talk, where science and pop culture collide. This is Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And today we're going to have a Cosmic Queries edition of Star Talk. With my co-host, Chuck Nice. Yes. Chuck, baby. Hey, Neil. All right. What's Someone happening? slipped in between us here. That's right. I got my friend and colleague. Yes. Not only professional colleague, but museum colleague, Jackie Faraday. That's Hi. right. Jackie in the Hi. house. Hi. In, in, the, in two houses. <laughs> Double house Double here. House. Double house. Uh, Jackie is one of the world's experts on the, the worlds that exist. Between planets and stars. Wow. There's yeah. not a sharp boundary there. You might have thought so, or maybe right. you never thought about it. She's thought about it. Yes. And she and her peep her peeps. She's got a whole community of people. In fact, after we hired her, she brought other people after she came. So this place, the American right. Museum of Natural History, right. is one of the intellectual centers of this subject. Because of this woman right here. That's correct. That's Pump really that cool. One Give me like another no, yeah. one. Right. I'm going to take ownership of that. You sure? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we actually have a, our research group has uh, stickers and t-shirts and logo. We have a logo. Uh, and we made it Is out of. Is that the logo with the, with the. With the, the subway, the subway symbols. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Really like cool. the, because our subway symbols in New York City are circles yes. with letters inside of yes, them. Yes, they are. So yes. what are yeah. what is what's your design there? So we are BDNYC, oh. which stands for Brown Dwarfs right. in New York City mm-hmm. Research Group. Plus the B train stops at this institution. It certainly so does. does the C. At, that, that's correct. B and C. Mm-hmm. There you go. So uh, we solicited questions yes. on uh, from from our fan base. Telling them we're going to have the world's expert on this sort of nether world between mm-hmm. planets and stars. Yes. And in came hundreds of questions. 
Hundreds. Yes. Hundreds. Hundreds of questions. Yes. You've got them. And I've got them. Neither of us have seen it. No, you haven't. Not that it's a test. No, no. I love shows like this when I have one of my my astrophysics colleagues Mm -hmm. because then I'll have to say a thing. Right. She knows everything. It's, I'll just I'm gonna go get lunch and then you you tell me when you're done. Right. So yeah. I like that. Neil saying I know everything. That's a nice that's a nice compliment. Thank that's, you, yeah, Neil. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, why don't we jump into it with jump our in. first question, which is always from a Patreon patron. All right. Uh okay, here we go. This is AMZ Industries. Wow, we've gone corporate with Patreon patrons. <laughs> AMZ. AMZ that Industries. Very New York Stock Exchange listening. Tell me about AMZ, it. AMZ uh, Industries. AMZ, right. Um, AMZ says, um, the sun is the biggest star in our solar system. I believe it's also the only star in our solar system. Keep going. Okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. We're I'm just hold saying. that one, yeah. Okay. Uh, do we know a star or any other object in space or interstellar space that is Bigger than our sun. Okay. Mm. Okay, so just see, they just mixed galaxy with solar system. That's what they did. That's all. Thank you. Uh I'm trying to figure this out, but you got Mm -hmm. it. That's what they did. So, uh, um, also to Jackie, um, do you believe in zodiac signs? Uh Mm Uh-huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Okay, twofold question, both of which are interesting to answer. And they both sound... Completely unrelated to each other. They are unrelated. To <laughs> well, each I, other, I think I, I believe. I think one is a genuine interest in the cosmos, and a, and the other is a genuine interest in you. Oh, <laughs> oh, I love it. So I will go with the first one: is the sun in our? Okay, so yes, it's the only star that we know of in our solar system. Although we have searched for another object that might be maybe not a star, but one of these objects I study, a brown dwarf. Brown dwarf. That might be a companion to our own sun since it's alone it's by itself it doesn't have a partner so Wait, we have to are be you orbiting really far away yeah i was going to say because you're talking yep. about what what, what what i believe we're talking about to, to tell me if i'm wrong is that sometimes there are anomalies in the gravitational movement of objects in our neighborhood right so I think you're going with the Planet Nine explanation. Okay, that's what which I, is yeah. yeah, and that's also been been pulled on and is very popular right now. Planet right. Nine, not Pluto. Pla- just to be oh, clear, yeah. right? Right. Yes. On this show, we gotta be clear about that's it. Right. Okay. And also, we can discuss why that word planet's not very good in this context, anyway. Right. So an object outside of what's currently Pluto's position that might be tugging on tugging objects, on objects in the outer part of the solar system, the Kuiper Belt, which is this 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 area of things that are left over from when the solar system formed. Uh, and whether or not there's something else that's well beyond that, right. possibly there's indications. Theorists certainly think that. Um, but um, but there was this nemesis hypothesis that existed several several years ago. Okay. For which that possibly you could link up mass extinctions that happened on this planet with a highly eccentric other object. That might have been... The orbit is eccentric. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> orbit is eccentric. It's not emotionally eccentric. Right. It could have been right. emotionally eccentric. <laughs> Although it does spend a lot of time alone, so maybe you never know. Why are we giving emotions to the object? Like, this Love is it. part of the problem. People put so much emotion on these objects. We, they want to feel them. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just call the thing eccentric. That's all. Yes, yeah. eccentric. Right. So, uh, so that it would have an eccentric orbit uh, and that possibly it was every time it got into some area of the 
the outer solar system. It would kick a bunch of stuff in uh, towards the uh, towards our area and right. cause possibly mass extinctions. The comets that would then hit yeah, 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 comets, uh, asteroids, mm-hmm. um, and so that's that's basically we've looked far and near and we haven't found anything. Gotcha. So possibly that's out. Um, so Nemesis but- was the proposed name if such an object existed. And that would have been its name had we found it. Yeah, yeah, and Nemesis is the idea that it's our Nemesis. Right. The Earth's Nemesis, not right. necessarily the Sun's. Right. The right. Earth's, because if it's going to uh, basically if it's launching, bombard If it's us, launching crap at us. Salvo. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Why would you want that? Right. So that would feel like yeah. your Nemesis, yeah. right? Sure, sure, sure. So that, okay. So beyond that, the question's asking if there's a, um, a star that's bigger than our, our own Sun. And that's like, yeah, yeah. definitely. Right. There's so many... My favorite star in the the nighttime sky is called Eta Carina. Eta Carina. You know Eta Carina. Eta Carina. Love a me beauty. some Eta Carina. And I love the fact it's that it actually sounds like a pop star. You know what I mean? Eta. Yeah. Eta Carina. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? It's in the constellation Carina. Mm-hmm. Uh, that make and- a good ice cream flavor. That Eta Carina. You said, no, I, I no, ate a Carina. No, no, Carina is the name of the flavor. So and I, I ate a Carina. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, I wouldn't have put that in there, but okay. <laughs> All right. I it's like got, It's in the homunculus nebula. Can you make <laughs> that you work as a, like the homunculus yeah. nuts that somehow somebody could make that you'd put on the ice cream? Well, so Eta Carina is a very large star. Um, we now think that it's actually two stars, a binary star system. Oh. Uh, we call it a luminous blue variable. It's this object that's very, very massive. And so we think it's two and so 40 to 50 times the mass of our, our own sun, but probably two of them. They go around each other, eclipsing each other so that you can actually see the light of one dip very, very periodically. So and that's a variability you were talking about. Yeah. 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 So yeah. let me just ask you this. Uh, even though it's a body moving in front or transiting another body how how, is one slightly larger than the other because where they're both luminous yeah so the idea of a transit is one blocks light from the other but if they're both glowing what what are you measuring so they're not the exact same mass okay Uh, so you'd have one that's say 60 times the mass of a sun and the other is 30 times the mass of the sun i got you all right there's even some hypothesis that there's a triple system in there there's three not just two wow so i'm noting eta carina because i think it is just an awesome star uh, or star system, but that's the, not the most good Hubble massive. photos of that, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You check yeah. that out. Yeah, we might put one on the website here. Yeah, you should because oh, mm-hmm. it was part of an HST legacy project. Hubble Space Telescope. Yeah. Or, sorry, Hubble uh-huh. Space Telescope. Yeah. Yes. Don't apologize. That's, I'm, yeah, you you're to, right. You're in the lingo, girl. I'm in the lingo. Do the lingo <laughs> thing. <laughs> HST and the elemental P. Right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Neil. Uh-huh. Um, and it it's a uh, so there's there's a lot of data on and on Eta Carina, uh, but it's not the most massive. You get even more massive. There's mm-hmm. 100, 200 times the mass of our own sun. Wow! And these are not stable systems. This is these again stars... we're not referring to their motions, right? Right, <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> have eccentric stars and unstable stars. <laughs> I like where this is going. <laughs> we yeah. also have degenerate stars as well. That's another thing. Really? Yes, nice it's, it's an actual. Kind of stuff. Is that okay? I, yeah. I I can't even tell you what. Forget it. <laughs> I just my mind immediately went to a star. And just, just for like, constellation weenies mm-hmm. out there, Carina uh, is a constellation visible primarily in the southern hemisphere, and it's part of the constel. It's part of a much larger constellation that used to be one piece, mm-hmm. and it's the the ship of uh, the Argonauts. Okay, Argonavis is the ship, and it's just Carina it, uh, is the is the 
is the keel, I think. The keel, yeah. Yeah, so what they did was that sh- that constellation was way too big for the britches, mm-hmm. so they broke it up into parts. So there's a compass, there's a sail, there's the hull, there's the... there, And so this is, it is the eta if brightest right. object in the constellation Carina. So alpha, beta, gamma, delta... Epsilon, Zeta, Eta. So it'll be the seventh brightest star. And that's important also because it's not always the Eta because that's what it was cataloged at. But at one time, it was one of the brightest stars in the nighttime sky oh. because the thing is going through massive and insane explosions. And it's just dumping material off, which is creating That makes the gorgeous, beautiful photos. Yes. Oh, the nebula wow. that's around it is so unbelievably attractive to look at. And that's just from but Chuck, just it's really a crime dumps scene. of material. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. It's really a crime scene. Right. you got to see this gas just oh, spilling out. So it's good. Like something happened down in yeah, there. Yeah, something bad happened. Something bad and happened. something is continually bad happening. <laughs> I mean, I would love to fly close and have a look at that thing. And you wouldn't want to be close as a human because there's probably a, a lot, lot of, of really bad radiation yeah, around there. Yeah. But man, would it be a sight. Because it is really pretty. Mm. That's very to cool. To the human eye. So Ada Carina. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Also, the sun is large enough. If you hollowed it out, right, you could pour a million Earths into it. Our sun. Our sun. Right. And now we're talking about stars bigger than that. That's right. all. That's much, exactly. bigger. That's right. much, much, so much bigger. Much, much, much bigger. And so these yeah. super massive stars, these are... These are the ones that become black holes. Like our sun couldn't become a black hole, no. could it? No. Our sun couldn't become a black hole. Not no. massive enough. But these are these are the ones like you look at these stars, the luminous blue variables, and then there's another kind. They're called Wolf Rayette stars. So there's actually somebody Wolf here. Wolf Rayette? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, actually debatable if it's Wolf Rayette well, or Wolf Well, these are two Rayet. people who, who's Oh, is that the deal? Paper. So the people did they discover this? Or? Well, they they first studied them okay. in, in an important way. All right, and so then realized that no other stars look like those do. So they became their own category. Nice. Wolf Rayet. Ray- R A Y E T. Okay. If yeah. it's French, you you leave you don't pronounce the trailing consonant. Right. Like, so Wolf Rayet. Nice. All right. And for the uh, second question, uh, Re- reread that, please. Uh, which oh, right. is, uh, do you believe in zodiac signs? Uh, so what I, I, I believe is such an interesting thing. There are constellations in the nighttime sky, which are the markers for where the ecliptic of the path that the sun takes in the sky and all the planets and the moon they take. Uh, and so those are designations in the sky and that is it's where the, the, um, the sun and the planets and the moon all move. Yeah. I don't place any significance on um, what people like to do in reading their astrological... Uh, sign. Mm. I'm actually not even sure what my sign is. Oh, wow. Mm. When were you mm. born? Not totally true. I do know what it is, but I'm, oh, okay. I'm just... But you don't think about it or care about it. I don't think about it, about it. Yeah, too it's much. it's not a thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Mine is cancer. I'm a festering malignancy. <laughs> Thank you. Does it feel accurate? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right. All right. Enough, enough of that. Thank Let's, you, Jackie, yeah, for that. That right. was great. Okay. Wow. Right. I got so much Chuck, out of that, man. What else you got there? All right. Why don't we... Um, this is uh, Sherman from San Diego. Says, Are we still on the Patreon? Or this not? is a Patreon still patron. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sherman from hi, San Sherman. Diego. Sherman says, uh, hi, Dr. Tyson. and Hi, Dr. Faraday. Understanding that it's only been a few decades since the discovery of the first exoplanets, there is still a lot we don't know about even the closest ones to our solar system. What tools and or resources are needed in the works or in the works to help us better understand the nature and composition of these objects? Mm. So that's a very good question. Is there anything new and exciting that helps us? Can I pre-pen that question by by asking you, are your methods and tools Mm -hmm. to find the worlds between planets and stars, do you have overlap 
with the methods and tools of those who are finding planets. Yeah, and I actually yeah. think this would drive the question of what do we mean when we say the word planet in this particular instance? Mm -hmm. Because the objects that I study that are that I get the most excited about studying are ones that we sometimes refer to as rogue worlds, mm -hmm. as they are the same mass as the objects that others might want to call a planet. Mm -hmm. but those objects orbit a star. And the ones that I study don't orbit a star. They're in between. Oh. Yeah, they just, they're off there. They're alone. They have no host star. Homeless. So there's nothing. They're homeless. Yeah, we call them orphan uh, to be nicer maybe. Man. Wow. Orphan, uh, homeless, I'm, a, I'm an orphan, orphan world. The orphaned objects that are out there. Mm -hmm. So that what I do, because it's uh, a lot easier for you to attempt to get to what's in the atmospheres of these objects, when they don't have a host star that you have to block the right. light of because the contrast oh, ratio is so large. I never thought about that. It's so much easier. Is that easier. Like, like seeing a, a firefly in a, in a Hollywood searchlight? Mm -hmm. You can't, the, the brightness contrast is so high, you can't see the, the dim things. Mm -hmm. So you got objects where there's no main star, so it's just the it's object just the itself. Yeah. Very good. Just it on its own. But this is where it gets controversial, right? Because it could be the exact same mass, temperature, gravity, the whole deal that we would call an object around another star. But because we find it alone, we call them brown dwarfs. Uh, and when they're the lowest mass, so not getting too far down this rabbit hole, which I assume you want me to define what a brown dwarf is at some point. Oh, yeah, I, I was going to say. Okay, okay. Well, right. It's probably important for your audience to understand what I'm an expert in. <laughs> but, but just quickly, you're saying that location matters in how you classify mm -hmm. such an object. We don't have a good running definition right now it is. for okay. what it is that we'll call this high-mass end problem outside of our own solar system. High-mass planet. High-mass planet. High-mass, so, uh, so planet or... So, what, brown, so what's a brown dwarf? So brown dwarfs are these objects that exist in mass in between stars and planets or... Pff, whatever, the gray area in between. And the idea being that when you form a star, you have a giant molecular cloud of hydrogen and it fragments into pieces. Whatever causes the fragmentation, the compression of the gas, it, it breaks off into to pieces. The smallest possible pieces that could fragment off. Wait, wait, so you have the main piece, that's the main star. Well, if lots of pieces, right? Like okay, but, but one of them is going to, the big one is going to be the star. In there the could be hundreds presumably. of them that'll be stars. Oh, yeah. of course. All right. right. Yeah. So now you got the other bits and pieces going. Yeah. So there'll be a whole spectrum, a whole distribution of objects that will break off out of a gigantic molecular cloud. Mm -hmm. uh, and this molecular cloud will break down into, once you compress it, mm -hmm. so that all of the gas then gets pushed together. And then uh, enough so that the pressure there ignites the cores of these things that break off into tiny pieces. The smallest of the pieces end up being these objects that don't even know that they don't have enough mass to get the core hot enough to get nuclear burning going. But they do it anyway? No. No, <laughs> no this is they why... They think they're going to be a star, but, but they're, they're not. not. So what, right, now you guys are putting emotion on it. Yeah. They don't know what they should or shouldn't be. They're just existing. And so this this is why people called them failed stars. Right. Because they're not getting enough mass. But I look at it and like, whatever, dude. Like, who cares? It is existing with not enough mass. That's fine. It doesn't have the mass. Instead, it can't get that nuclear engine going that's at the center of our sun. Right. Instead, it's like a coal plucked from a fire. It just cools through its life. And that's it. And that is in between basically what we say is the top mass for that that it happens is 75 times the mass of the Jupiter. 75 Jupiters. That would be a star. 
That's Above the that is border, a star. Yes, right? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And this is very metallicity dependent, like how much how much metallicity, how many mm-hmm. how much what's, iron? What's metallic? Oh, okay. I got yeah, you. Yeah. Heavy so elements. at the core, like yeah, okay, okay. Got heavy you. elements. Right, right. Uh, so how much of that was available will change, like how much mass you need to get the core burning. But then uh the lower end of it, the low end. I don't know. What's the lowest mass fragment that you can break off? This is a huge discussion in astronomy right now. Mm. What is the lowest mass piece that breaks off? And still becomes a thing. And, still becomes and is a, a thing. thing. That, right. All right. That thing that doesn't know what it is. But then, wait, one last thing on it. One last thing, because I know we have to stop. But the planet would be opposite end of this. Can you form an object, the planets form, in a disk around a star? But how big can it get? around a star. So now you've got two competing things. You've got objects that form by breaking up a cloud that then self-fragments and blah, 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 blah. And then you've got a disk around a forming star. And how big can that object get? Oh, wow. Okay. Planet versus brown dwarf. we got to take a quick break. Mm -hmm. So that's the brown dwarf establishment right Right. there. As opposed to my brown dwarf, which was uh, the dwarf that was never painted by Disney because he was racist. (laughs) Wow. The eighth dwarf, yes. Okay. <laughs> Chuck wow. has issues we getting him through. Chuck. When we come back, more with Jackie Faraday on the world between planets and stars <laughs> on Star Talk. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science 
proves it. PXG Black Ops Driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops Drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash startalk. Code startalk. Bringing space and science down to earth. You're listening to Star Talk. We're back. Star Talk, Cosmic Queries, the worlds between stars and planets. Where are they? What are they? We got a word for them, but do we understand them? And our best chance of understanding them is this woman right here. Yes. Jackie Faraday in the house. Yes, yes. Friend and colleague at, in, the in the Department of Astrophysics right here at the American Museum of Natural History. And you just went, you just described something I hadn't fully appreciated just before mm-hmm. the break, that you have this humongo gas cloud, mm-hmm. uh, a molecular cloud, they call them, and it'll break into bits. And these are typically stars, but some might not be stars. In addition to that, each one of these will have a disk of material surrounding it that will then break up into little bits beyond the bits that just broke off to make the thing that had the disk. Mm-hmm. Did, I, did I understand that? You're doing good, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, will, I will say, right, so those so, are So the, two dynamic, two different kinds of phenomenon going on. Two different formation mechanisms. Formation mechanisms, that's yeah. the phrase I'm looking for. Right, <clears throat> and so we want to use that as definitional for saying, like, what kind of object are you looking at? I'd prefer to know how it formed because can you eject these objects that form around a star? Yeah, you do. Oh, 100% you do. They're launched off. We probably ejected stuff all sorts of ways. We we, might have had like 30 planets or something at that point, right? Yes, exactly. And now we're down to eight. Get over it. Um, and so all, all those would be rogue planets by now. Rogue or worlds. Eaten, or eaten. Rogue worlds. I like rogue worlds rogue, rather than planets. Rogue just worlds. Or could have any of them become joined forces to become... Like, get picked up by another star. Yeah, get picked up by another star. Yeah, so yeah. we talk about that too. That's Ooh. pretty hard to do, but not impossible. Okay. It's possible that it could happen. Uh, they could also, they get scattered around. And we have evidence for this material now. Like present day, we have material that has passed through our own solar system after it probably got ejected from a totally different solar system. Nice. This object called Oumuamua, which is a, a interstellar asteroid right. rock that came flying through here. And that probably got dumped out when uh, its own sun was forming its solar system. So the, the one thing on this, that though. Right. That ain't right. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Like, don't you... let the doorknob hit you, oh, Moa Moa. <laughs> but don't you think? <laughs> Oumuamua, by the way, is Hawaiian for scout. And it's repeated, Oumuamua, for emphasis. So gotcha. it's basically first scout. 
That's you would. Right. And it was named that because it was on a tel- it was found through a telescope in Hawaii, mm-hmm. the Pan-STARRS telescope, which is a yeah. wonderful telescope. And uh, as an homage to Hawaii, the mm-hmm. they chose this wonderful the wine language. Name. Yeah. Right. So, so just uh, I did this calculation long ago. This mm-hmm. is the perfect time for me to invoke it. All right. Because how often does Let's one get to invoke a calculation? Sweet. If there were four bumblebees flying in the continental United States, okay. The chances of them accidentally bumping into each other are greater than any two stars in our galaxy. Ooh. Wow. So, so, wait, so wait. but if you want to talk about how empty space is between that's, that's stars. That's how much stuff is not there. It's not there. For so, them to so if you have if you have rogue things cast off, there's still the unlikelihood that you would even come into the vicinity of another star. But even if you did, mm-hmm. you're gonna have a velocity that's hard to trap. Suppose so, all, so Oumuamua had hyperbolic velocity, so we're not. Right, it's coming through. Any, it's coming and through. It's not even looking back. Like, right, no, right. it has it's nothing to do with gangbusters. us. Right, like we didn't yeah. capture it. We're not doing anything. We're not doing a it. damn thing. To it, it just it came through like beep beep. Here I come. There mm-hmm. I go. And even looking at its motion, uh, its velocity, yeah. it looked like maybe we were its first pass. Yeah. Possibly, this is very hard to tease out. But there was a paper on that whether or not we were the first a research paper. Yeah, a research paper that mm-hmm. was looking at whether or not we were its first encounter. After right. it departed, and we traced, we look. Astronomers tried to trace it back and see where it might have come right. from. Find the t- right. So now, with that in mind, did we're the first pass? Did we alter its course? Oh, great question. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Well, Probably yeah. a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, it feels. Yeah. yeah. You can. You can. You can. You. You cannot get captured, but still feel what's going on here. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. So if you if you look at they have the. The trajectory. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah, trajectory's yeah. arc, right? Uh, okay. In response to the gravity of Jupiter and the Sun. Interesting. But when you put primarily en- put enough of a change in the velocity that when it gets to the next star, it's really obvious. Like, oh, this is its next stellar encounter. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure we can tease it out quite yet because it still looks like a disc. It's like a disc object, mm-hmm. just sort of flying around in the disc of the Milky Way. Nice. Um, beep beep. What's that? Uh, the Jetsons. Oh. No, the Jetsons. Oh, flying uh, the flying cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh, Jetsons. I thought yeah. you were doing beep beep from the. It's before your time. Sorry. Ha! <laughs> 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 Maybe. She's like, okay, okay. Yeah, Jetsons were so before uh, everybody's it. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it when I was a kid, so I don't know why it's. Well, the Roadrunner did a beep beep too. Yes, he did. Yeah. You know, I just learned recently, but mm-hmm. this had nothing to do with anything. The Roadrunner never left the road. How about when he was standing on air and the coyote would fall? No, the coyote's standing on air. The oh, Roadrunner isn't. That's true. Yeah. Oh, huh. Interesting. Yeah, the okay. Roadrunner stops before it gets to the edge of the cliff. And it's always on the road. That's interesting. Hence, the Roadrunner. Yeah. I have another point on Stellar Fly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just pull us back in here, Neil. Um, so, you might... You like my pop culture references? I'm sorry. I, do, I love it, I love it, okay. I love it, I love it. It's so great. Um, but... The, one of the things that I think is massively uh, interesting right now in astronomy is how many times stars not run into each other, but interact with one, one another. Mm-hmm. So the issue of, and this is, this is my new thing, I'm really into the new villain of planetary architecture, is the stellar flyby. Mm. The unappreciated... Um, influence that stars that move by each other can have. And the reason why I say that... Fly by looting. 
<laughs> flybys that will change the court, the change the structure of maybe your planetary system. Or mm. now, like, okay, so the question I think had something to do with what we're understanding about exoplanets and and learning about it in the future. So here's one for everybody. In one million years, just about one million, it's like 1.1 million years. Okay, let me put put that on my calendar. I don't, I can't give you the exact date. October 12th, one million years. Plus or minus like 10,000 years, yes. But but there will be a stellar flyby, so at its closest encounter, by a star that's smaller than our own sun, but we're headed for each other. And in one million years, it's going to pass within our Oort cloud. It's coming straight in. So the Oort cloud, the outer region of comets, that's a spherical zone. Very distant, but very there. Very there. Very there. Lots of material. Yeah, this is like trillions of comets just... Okay, that just sounds, waiting to strike. I was going to say that sounds <laughs> catastrophic. It's I, it, it's so, dun, we've dun, looked dun, at dun, it. Dun, 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 yeah, dun, <laughs> astronomers have looked at it to see like is the dun, dun, you know is it going to be a disaster? Uh, and the conclusion is it's uncertain, but the impact that it'll have on the Oort cloud might not be super bad. Jan Oort was the Dutch astronomer who first calculated the existence of the Oort cloud. It's so far away you can't see the objects that at that distance, but when they come in, you see them near the sun and you look at their trajectory, and you say, oh, this you much right terminate there. way mm-hmm. at, out at this distance before mm-hmm. it comes back again. The calls are coming from inside the house. Okay. <laughs> but like, so, <laughs> so if you think about it, the Oort cloud actually stretches a third of the way to the closest star. Mm-hmm. A third of the way. Wow. It's, it's, it gets loose. So, I mean, think about that. You know, I mean, you get something that flies between us and that uh, that next closest object. It loosens up things. Because they're only barely held on to begin with. So barely any, any disturbance will completely right. yeah, wreak havoc. And most important here is the consideration of we're constantly doing mission planning. Like, what are the next stages of mission planning, right? And what's the what's the name of the star? Just so I know. So I, it's the Gliese seven a seven eighty. Okay. It's a it's one of these names that um, I constantly mix it with seven eighty versus seven eighty one. I think so. Okay. As my fear of as do we all Gleason uh, seven no, no. not Gleason <laughs> Gleason G L E I S E E S G L I E S E E S E it's a catalog of uh, with high, high moving, fast moving stars, right? Close, bright, so they're mostly fast moving. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, fast moving uh, in our field of view. So in order for that to be the case, they have to be nearby. So man, I was hoping it was Gleason. No, <laughs> it ha- no, but, but just to be clear, no. Norton. No. <laughs> so this is not a catalog of stars that are actually moving fast. It's a catalog of stars that are moving fast in our field of view. So you can have a bird fly by in front of you, mm-hmm. and, it, and a, that's going maybe twenty miles an hour, and a plane that's moving past your field of view much more slowly. All right, and you're not going to say that, that the bird is the, the going bird's faster going, than, a, yeah, than the, a plane. The bird's not going six hundred miles an hour. Right, right. So that angle matters, and that angle it manifests by its distance. So uh, there's a catalog of selected for their for their fast movement in our night sky, and those tend to be the nearest objects. Yeah, right, because we're detecting them. And so that one had been known, we've known about that star for a really long time. It's a bright, it's a very bright star. And it's, it's, it's... It's headed for us. We are headed for it. It's It's heading for us. And just think about it. It's probably got a solar system around it. 
and a North why, Cloud why and a Kuiper Belt. Why not? Why, why wouldn't the, it? Probably the majority of stars, why wouldn't why they wouldn't have it? them? Wow. And so when you think, I've got all of my, every time I give a science talk, I bring this up. But don't you want to, we'll, we're going to see it. Totally like, want to get in it. In. Like, like people bring it here. <laughs> wait, wait, that means Let's, our Oort clouds will intersect. More than that, yes. The Oort clouds, the Kuiper Belts, possibly like whatever, whatever this thing's got around it, we could fly something to it. There's a lot of this discussion about going to Proxima Centauri because we all want to get there like now. The nearest we're star all to the sun, alive. yeah, yeah. Gleason mm-hmm. uh, 7 8, man. Let's go. That's going to be it. even closer when it's close. Right. It's going to be so close. She sounds like she's like ready to. I was going to say, for it. and I am so ready to do this one million years from now. <laughs> she's talking like she got her telescope all ready for it. This is very sad because yeah, I'll be. You better take them longevity pills before that happens. <laughs> <laughs> no, by then we'll be able to upload your consciousness to a computer, That'll so be you'll so still be nice. around. Th- that's good. Mm. Yeah, I'd like to see it when it happens. Cool, Chuck. What else you got? All right. So, okay. This is, let's go for a quick one because I know we're running out of time in this segment. This is from Rossi King. Somehow, you could do a long one and then I tease the next segment, dude. This is how I do this. Well, you know, if we keep discussing this like this, we'll be do, able to do it with this short one. <laughs> <laughs> <All right>. Go. <laughs> no, this is Rossi King from YouTube. Uh, actually, I just wanted to ask this for myself too. Was Jupiter a failed star? And then the person says, I'm really glad it failed. Because I love it in the nighttime sky. Oh, very oh, nice. How cute is that? That's that should awesome. be a quick answer. Yeah, <laughs> but it's super a feel star, which, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, uh, uh, it's not. No, the quick answer to that would be no. But again, let's not call them failed stars. Let's just call them well, Achieving one, planets? I call them <laughs> overexcited <laughs> planets. Thank you. Overachieving planets? I'm not kidding, Neil. This That's is my coined hilarious. term. This is very modern teacher lingo, yes. right? For Overexcited planets. That's what yeah. I sometimes call them, but then I don't like Don't planets. star shame me. Yeah. <laughs> don't star shame me. It. You guys are going with this. I'm not exactly. a failed star. Exactly. Whoa. Jupiter shouldn't feel feel any in any way shape or form like it inadequate is. exactly right it is a, a behemoth of our solar system yes many times i say if i'm gonna find an earth-like planet uh that i'll be comfortable saying yes let's let's consider that habitable i want a jupiter at a jupiter radius away because you know what jupiter does for us it protects us in a lot of ways okay. it's the bouncer of the solar system it, it's the one that's like taking hits for us because asteroids get dumped in and Mm. comets are coming in and what does Jupiter do? It takes a lot of hits. Sure, it deflects some of them our way. Mm -hmm. Let's not talk about that part. Right. But, unless you want to, but I would say... But uh, most of what it does is protect. It's protect- it shields it's us. protector. Yeah. So I'd yeah. really like to see if we find I like the, an object. The bouncer of the solar system. ID, yeah. please. Standing out there. Exactly. ID, please. <laughs> right. That's what it says to all the comments. <laughs> they come in like, nope. Well, ID cool. includes what your trajectory is. Yeah, right. There you it's, go. It's trajectory, please. Right. right. Yeah. No, no, that ain't happening. <laughs> keep, keep walking. So. so I would not call it a failed star. I'd call it the bouncer of the solar system. The nice. most important of the planets for Earth to consider right now. So how much more mass would it need to, for it to have ignited a core of energy? Or so, not even a core, uh, for it to not have ignited a core of energy Well, this and, be, is, and become the overachieving planet. Right. So the brown dwarf regime uh, is roughly the lower mass bound that we call is about 13 times the mass of Jupiter, but that not a great number. That was a traditional number that so was about, used. So about a factor of 10. And, right, and the reason is because at that mass, you can get heavy hydrogen burning or de- okay. de- deuterium burning. Mm-hmm. And so 
because that tended to be a definitional thing where either the difference between a star and a brown dwarf is hydrogen burning, nuclear burning. Mm. And then it was kind of capped at the bottom end of like, well, at about 13 Jupiter masses, then it's deuterium burning that stops. And so, boom, that was the definition and it's terrible. So the way to think about it is just if Jupiter had more than 10 times its current mass, it would start entering the brown dwarf regime. Yeah, it would be a massive okay. thing. But something about Jupiter, however, that yeah. just Jupiter would be proud, I think, is that yeah. it is emitting more energy than it is receiving from mm, the sun. Yes. So it is a net energy generating object in this solar it's system. It's like a blue state. Sorry, that was that was very political. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I'll fill in those details after this break <laughs> when Star Talk continues the world between planets and suns. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France. Which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mère and mère somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Do you want to set up your child for success? Of course you do. Maybe you want to save money on private tutoring, or maybe it's just out of your budget altogether. Is this a big school year for your child? Like maybe they're starting kindergarten, middle school, or high school, or some other milestone. Maybe your family moved and they're starting at a new school. Is your child ahead? Not getting challenged enough in class? Well, we love that little smarty, but we want them to be engaged. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Star Talk. Visit IXL.com slash Star Talk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, we'd like to give a Patreon shout-out to the following Patreon patrons. Joe Aguirre. Or maybe Joe pronounces it Aguirre. Daniel Hargrove, 
and Jill Berkey. Guys, thanks so much for your support of Star Talk through Patreon, because without you, it'd be a lot more difficult to make this show. And if you would like to have your name shouted out as a Patreon patron, please go to patreon.com slash Radio and support us. Bringing space and science down to earth. You're listening to Star Talk. We're back on Star Talk. Cosmic queries, the worlds between planets and stars. And we have one of the world's experts. Yes. On that, Jackie Faraday. Mm-hmm. One of my colleagues. She's my colleague. Right. So yes. You know. Well, while I'm sitting I like here, Jack I can too. be her colleague <laughs> while I'm yeah. here. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Just no, we get comedians here, they're your colleagues. If I get one of my people, she's my colleague. Oh. Somehow I lose in this deal. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about Jupiter as right. not a failed star, but an, an overachieving planet. But still, it's a factor of 10 in mass away from having turned on as a star. So that's still kind of far away. It's not kissing the door you know, kissing the boundary there, right? Factor right. ten. No, yeah, yeah. We're, it's a, it's, it's in squarely in the we're totally comfortable calling it a planet object. Right, right. It have to be quite a bit more massive before we start to feel awkward. There are other mm-hmm. systems. There's one called HR eight seven nine nine. It's the name of the star, uh, and it has again name for the catalog out of which they come. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. Uh, and th- these stars also have multiple names, but that's the most popular of the names. I often call that system. That's the catchiest name. It's already seven nine nine. That's the most popular. That's, that's that one just, just rolls, rolls off, off the tongue. Yeah. That's like the, the share of the. Yeah, HR eight seven nine nine. So I sometimes call HR eight seven nine nine the Brad Pitt of planetary systems that have been directly imaged. Because if you have a camera, aka a coronagraph or an adaptive optic system, for special camera for this, yeah, yeah, we point it at HR eight seven nine nine because it's so pretty. Nice. The system. Mm. And you can image four, one, two, three, four planets orbiting. In one fell swoop. Yeah, and I would highly recommend for your um, for your does, listeners. Does Brad Pitt know this? <laughs> I have said it so much, I hope so. Okay. And that All I'd right. like him to just feel like the honor of the Brad Pitt status of planetary systems. HR 8799, he could just call himself the HR 8799 of, uh, of, of Hollywood. celebrity. <laughs> of Hollywood. I'm, I'm, I'm Hollywood's HR 8799, baby. Switch it up. Just so you know. Right. Just so Point a camera at me. So the year I was... The sexiest astrophysicist alive. Okay, this is forty pounds ago, by the way. Um, I love that we are now measuring uh, chronology time. in pounds. That That's year, great. Brad good. Pitt was the cover as oh, sexiest man alive. Cute, beyond category. Nice. See, me to have to be in a category, right. In order to, 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 but he had no category. What yeah. year is this? <laughs> <laughs> I want to link it to eight or eight seven Next time, next question. <laughs> Oh, that was great. Next question. All right, so I have a question personally that I I just, I'm thinking now and I I just, I can't stop thinking about it. As you were talking about these formation mechanisms, what what I want to know is, is it possible to have those two formation mechanisms happen simultaneously? So, I'm sorry, the three formation mechanisms happen simultaneously so that you have that star that's being surrounded by a brown dwarf and planets. 
Yes. Can that happen? So you're asking a question that basically got asked at a seminar the other day. I ask it all the time. And the result would be, uh, is it possible that you can form a brown dwarf? Yeah. What this thing is that we call a brown dwarf, these objects that have deuterium burning and they're formed through the process of fragmentation of a giant molecular cloud. And you can make that same kind of object, deuterium burning, through the accretion process or gravitational fragmentation around a star. Right. And so, can you get, if you're going to count up all the objects, you would see at a certain mass, you would start to get more of the object because you're forming them two different ways. And so you would see a higher number of objects popping out as you get down to like, maybe it's at 10 Jupiter masses, maybe it's at 12, maybe it's at four, whatever it is, because you're doubling down on how you form On the them, mechanism. Yes, wow, you would okay. double the number, double, maybe triple, maybe quadruple, mm -hmm. or maybe just a little bit more, but we're looking for this exact thing, for counting up the numbers we get, and then okay, seeing Chuck, if there's any signature. Now. <laughs> <laughs> just, I take like, it back, I take it back. It's pretty good, yeah. pretty good, well, yes, thanks. yes, 100%. Yeah. This is All right, cool, I, I cool, take cool. It back, Chuck. Excellent. No, you know. So, Chuck, this is our final segment. We got to go into, like, lightning round now. All right, let's move into our lightning round. Yeah, Isabel. Okay. Go, Chuck. Wow, this is such a fascinating So, Jackie, your moment. answer has to be a soundbite. We're testing your sound bititude. Got it. Okay. Ready. All right, go, Chuck. Okay. Uh, this is Kristen Davies, and Kristen says, I'm a seventh grade science teacher in Ohio, and I asked my students for their questions on the topic today. My students and I enjoy listening to clean episodes of Star Talk. <laughs> okay. Now you see why I'm reading episodes this. Episodes okay. that don't have Chuck in yeah, them. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Thanks a lot, Kristen. Yeah. But I'm the one reading your question, Kristen. Just remember that. Uh, during our study times, I listen to other episodes of my commute to work, and that gets me pumped up. So here Here's what she says. Uh, from the student, how many stars are in the universe? Has anyone ever counted them? And is it possible? Uh, another student says, can you turn a planet into a star? One and two questions. Okay, first question, go. All right, so number of stars in the universe. Universe. That number is insane. Number of stars in the galaxy, we're going to go with 200 billion probably. And so then there's billions and billions of galaxies. Right. That's why I'm so saying too, too large for me to give the exact number. Second question, can you turn a planet into, into a, star? a star? Awesome question. People are trying to figure this out. Unlikely because you dump enough material onto it. It probably gets fatter and you probably can't. Ignite, Ignite unless yeah. you do a gigantic dump from something that happens. But, but, but we can do a quick, Jackie, we can do the calculation. Yeah. If, if for, the, for the number of stars, if you, if you just say our galaxy has like 100 billion stars, let's say. 200, and, we'll and, go with 200 billion. But this factor two between friends. Yeah, yeah, now, sure, okay. So, and to keep the, the math simple, 100 billion stars. Okay. And there's somewhere between 10 and 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe. So 100 billion times 100 billion that's 10 to the 21st power. Okay, there you go. What do you call that? That's uh, one sextillion. Sextillion. That's yeah. a sextillion? Sextillion. That seems very small. Uh, well, let's do it. So a billion is, uh, stay with me. Okay. Nine zeros is a billion. Right. Trillion. Okay. Count the zeros. It's 12. 10, 10 right. 12. Okay. Units, three zeros at a I time. Because okay. it would have been 100 St billion. Start again. Okay. okay. So, so 12 trillion. It's a trillion. 15. Quadrillion. quadrillion, 18, quintillion, Quinn. 21, sextillion. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, so about sextillion No, but I'm stars. saying, I'm when I say you. that seems small, I mean, it seems small. Sextillion is small to you? Yeah. No. 
Plus, plus, I mean, it's big. That's a plus, number I don't say because it's just—it's so just too crazy big. big. No, I'm, I talking agree with about, I'm talking about when you, from where we're starting. I, I think, because you said it's only a hundred billion in our own galaxy. In our galaxy. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Forget it then. <laughs> plus, plus, plus. If if there's not a sextillion stars together, then there's two sextillion. Right. Yeah. These, at those numbers, these factors they are don't make to, a difference. They make you want no to get difference. the sense of the right. scale right. of this more than. But you, you still to... can't get the sense. But of this one scale. other thing, and not all galaxies are our size. There's so, so no, there's small, small ones, small and there's big ones. Bigger yeah. ones. Uh, there's collide galaxies that have merged Could, and come uh, together. Yeah. But uh, another thing they asked about counting the number of stars, and there is this survey called the. Um, it's a European survey. It's called Gaia, and counting. So they have. They're called the Billion Star Survey. One point seven billion stars, and that's that's and th huge. Those are not extrapolated. They're right. actually counting. Counted. They've counted a billion measure stars. Measure their distances, how far away they are. It's the greatest map that humans have ever produced. 1.7 billion. 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 Objects right. in a catalog. That's right. like a drop the mic moment. Yeah. I can't cool. do that here. Okay. You uh, did. Okay, he did it. Right. I was going to say, <laughs> please don't let that hit the ground. Neil dropped <laughs> the mic for Gaia. Excellent. Next. Okay. Keep it moving. Oh, go. There we go. All right. This is from Twitter, and this is... Um, Akash, Akash, Akshat says this. I think that's the name. Whatever. Mm. Who cares? How do astronomers study... Akshat cares. Akshat, Akshat probably cares. Yeah. <laughs> How do astronomers study the atmospheres of brown dwarfs? Mm. And how do we even detect them? Yeah, so. that's yeah. exactly what I do for a living. Yeah. Uh, and the way that we detect it is directly. So that's the actual method Let's that we call it. Let's pause for a moment. Mm. That you can do that for a living. Yeah. I know. Isn't that, that's, that's a just, great just, thing just to say. Reflect, just yeah. a, a moment. Just a mm -hmm. moment. Oh. A, oh, let's all hold hands. Okay. Yes. Meditative moment. Yes. <laughs> okay, okay Jack. There's a right. wonderful thing that, that, that you can do that for a living. Brown, yeah. Brown. Okay, go. Yeah. Go I also say the tagline for astronomers, though, is unlocking the secrets of the universe for a living. Like, that's a good tagline, right? right. You know? I mean, sure, studying the atmosphere as a brown dwarf sounds good, too, but unlocking the secrets <laughs> of the universe. Okay, um, remember, we're in lightning round. I know, so sorry. Direct imaging is the technique that we use. Okay. And I basically take a telescope. I point it directly at the object. Oh. For the most part, I have to use infrared instruments, though. Okay. So a wavelength of light that you can't see with your eye. Mm -hmm. A wavelength that's a bit longer than the than the radiation that we all give off, uh, the heat that we give off. Uh, and um, I'll take it, and I'll take the light. I pass it through a spectrograph, and I look at what it's made. What What is the chemical composition? Mm -hmm. What kinds of lines do I see? And mostly it's molecular features. Molecules. Very Molecules. cool. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. All right, excellent. Mm -hmm. um, let's go. There we go. Let's Keep it go. going. Uh, this is Tom Cat. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> Tom Cat wants to know this. Do brown dwarfs have surfaces or are they just balls of hot gas? Go. Yeah. Nice. I, uh, that is, we're often asked this and there's no surface for you to stand on. Similar right. with Jupiter and Saturn. Right. You're not going there and standing and having a really nice time. No, yeah. No, we so study. Call them gas giants. Yeah, right. gas giants. And so brown dwarfs are souped up gas giants. Okay. Very similar to So there's to no Jupiter. point deep enough where it's dense enough that you can call it a surface? There might be. We don't know. You just don't want to go. You don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to You'll die. We all die, right? But That's uh, could they have some sort of core similar to Jupiter or Saturn, mm -hmm. which would have some sort of core? Very well, it could have that. We don't know yet, though. All right, good. Excellent. This is Luigi Vane. Luigi Vane says this How do we know what a planet is made of and if it has an atmosphere, mm. if it goes by how much light passes through or by it? 
So that sounds like they're asking about the transit method. Pretty much. Uh, one of the ways that we detect planets is by looking at the planet pass in front of its host star between your eyeball and that host star. And there's there's lots of methods that astronomers have developed to look at the light of the star very, very carefully and see if there's any change in it as they are suspecting the transit is happening. You have to have the timing down, like smack down, to when that transit is happening, you look right at the star and you can see what it's made of. This is very complicated. We see what the atmosphere of the planet, the transiting planet, is made of. Right. Right. Through the light of the host star. Mm -hmm. It's a very complicated method. Uh, my preference, just to re regage us back to brown dwarfs is we draw upon what we do in brown dwarf science. Since we directly detect the atmospheres, we can guide any measurements that you want to make when you're trying to uh, make detections oh, of objects. Oh, so you have ground truth of we, what the atmosphere might exactly. be for those who are looking for the transit in front of a, a much brighter star in the background. We okay. are ground truth for transiting planets, Ooh. especially hot Jupiters, these objects that are pretty close in that are like Jupiter. Cool. All, All right, right, here right. we go. Dang. Actually, we, I think we just ran out of time. Did we really? We ran out of time. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, Chuck, I'm sorry okay. about that. All right. That's oh, sad. Oh, oh, that is sad. So many questions. You know what I think we should have? We should have put a few of those online and have Jackie answer them. Mm. Oh, that's a good idea. I think of that. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll put in for that. I'll it's amazing. I mean, people really people are all excited about it. brown dwarfs, man. Boom. Into what you get paid yeah, for. They really yeah, are. yeah, get paid to do this for a living. <laughs> yeah, it's for pretty a good living. job. Pretty good job. <laughs> all right, Jackie, thanks for being on Star Toys. Not yeah. your first rodeo with us. And so no, thanks well, for being on. I've done All Stars with Chuck, but this is the first time we've it's ever done It's our first one. time. It oh, is we do our first often. time, Neil. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, so you, so you go way back. Yeah, I'm at HR 80. <laughs> I'm at HR of co-host. All right, this brings this episode of Star Talk to a close. I thank my co-host Chuck Nice, Always a my friend and colleague Jackie Faraday. Thanks for coming on, and as always, I bid you to keep looking up. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.